invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. For the final time, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be talking today about uh, some of the concluding remarks that Matthew gives us uh, about this teaching of Jesus and the uh, accepting Jesus. Uh, Right before here, though, there's a part that I didn't read in chapter 12. I want to read that to you very quickly, just so you see sort of the background of what's going to happen here in, in chapter 13. Look at chapter 12, verse 46. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands... Towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's a little bit of the background here. Uh, The gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, paint this picture of Jesus in his earthly ministry. And at various times, his family is introduced to us. Uh, And what's interesting there is, uh, at least there in verse 46, you see Jesus is teaching Uh, He's explaining things about his kingdom. Uh, He's actually uh, spoken some very harsh things, very unpopular things. And lo and behold, his family is outside and they're wanting to get his attention. Uh, Probably to bring him home so that he stops teaching these things. And Jesus answers by saying that his mother and brother and sister, his family, are the ones that do the will of his father. That's, That's the background to what... We're going to read here uh, today in uh, chapter 13. Uh, During Christmas season, we always want something new. Uh, On Friday, you're going to uh, wake up and there's going to be all these presents underneath the tree. And uh, the children are going to go at those presents and they're going to be ripping them open. And and there's going to be new things. There are going to be new things under the tree, new presents, new stuff. Uh, And American consumerism is actually driven by this desire and this need for new stuff. But but once you look at new things and once you realize what it is, actually most of the stuff that's new are are updated versions of the old thing. So we're not necessarily wanting something new. We want an update of the old stuff. Uh, And that's American consumerism, uh, largely Christian and our, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Christmas and our American uh, economy is driven by that need for updated stuff and something new. Uh, the American church sometimes, the Christian church, latches onto that idea, and they try to update the original mer- uh, message and try to make the message fresh and new. And so especially this time of year, uh, a lot of churches kind of start doing new things to try to get uh, new people there to hear the message. Uh, but a lot of times what happens is the message... Uh, is updated, not simply something uh, something old, updated a little bit, uh, but it becomes a completely different message. It's really not a new message at all, but it's the old message of working to earn your salvation. And so uh, we need to avoid that. We need to, to stay away from that as a church and as Christians and really latch on to and hold on to the pure message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but there's a problem with that message Uh, I'm sorry, there's a problem there inherent. And it's not with the message itself, but the problem is with us. You see, we hear the message of Jesus, and you're going to hear it here today in a moment. 
and it goes into our ears and goes to our sinful hearts, and we are offended by that message, as we see. Uh, and we want to reject the message, and that's dangerous to reject the old message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be careful about rejecting that. Today we're going to see that Jesus' hometown people, the people that knew him the best, the people that were around him for 30 years of his life before he started his earthly ministry, uh, they knew him, they were familiar with him, they rejected his message. They rejected, actually more than his message, they rejected him. And so we need to be careful with that because familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard that before. The more familiar you are with something, the more likely you are to reject it. And so this is a message actually for good church folks like us. This is a message for people that go to church week after week after week. This is a message for those of us that are so familiar with the things of Jesus that it's old hat to us. And it just we just gloss right over it. So we need to be careful about that. Here's what I want to do. We're going to read this starting uh, chapter 13, verse 53 through 58, and then I'm going to ask the Lord's help in understanding his word. So read this with me. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph, Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did, then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his, in, except in his hometown and by his own household. And he did not do many works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding his word. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you again for giving us this word. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand it. Lord, all of us here need help paying attention and focusing. All of us need to have our hearts enlivened by the work of the Spirit. None of us are past being deadened to this and not caring. And so we do ask and pray that you would help us. Uh, Lord, this is a supernatural thing that we need. We can't well this up in ourselves, And so we rest upon your grace and your mercy to help us to see the gospel. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So first of all, I, wanna, I want you to see that uh, Christ, Christ shares a message that is astonishing. Um, I remember in college I took a history of science course. My professor was Jordan Kelman. Uh, and the first day of the class, we walked in and he said, everything you've been taught about history and science is wrong. And we said, oh, everything? And he said, yes, everything. And he said, how many of you think that prior to the Enlightenment era, everyone thought that the earth was flat and everyone raised their hands? And then for the whole class period, he went in and showed that actually... Uh, starting with the ancient Egyptians and then the ancient Greeks, and then on through the Middle Ages, everyone that held that the earth actually was round. You can actually even go back into the scriptures and have an indication that even the ancient Jewish people believed that the earth was round. Everything that I had been taught about a flat earth and everyone that held to a flat earth 
all through the Middle Ages, I was just wrong about that. I was all wrong. Because prior to, um, uh, well, actually, there was a very small number of people that actually ever held to a flat earth. I was astonished by this. It made me rethink everything that I had been taught prior to that one class. And I learned a great deal through that class uh, about a lot of things. Well, in a lot of ways, in many ways, Christ's message is even more astonishing than that simple fact. As a matter of fact, uh, the word that's used there, look in verse 54, um, when he says, In coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished. And they said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? That word astonished actually literally means blown away. So if you've ever used that phrase... And you said, I'm, I'm blown away by what I just heard. I'm blown away by just what just happened. That's what that word means. They were literally blown away by Christ and his message. Here's the thing. When Christ taught, he stopped you, or he forced you to stop and consider his message. He forced you to stop and to consider the things that were being said. He forced you to be blown away by the message and, and just stop and consider what was being told. Matthew doesn't tell us what Jesus taught here. We have an indication, more than likely, it was some of the stuff that was similar in Matthew chapter 13, the parables that he told. But also, if you turn to Luke chapter 4, Luke gives his account of this. So Luke chapter 4, starting in um, verse 16, says he came to Nazareth, Nazareth, and there he goes to the synagogue. Uh, actually, that was his custom. He went to the synagogue week after week after week. He went to church. Uh, their church in that day was held on a Saturday. Uh, and he fellowshiped with God's people. And then he was asked to read. Here's the hometown boy coming home. And uh, since he's got this training, apparently, and he's some kind of rabbi and everyone's heard about him, they ask him to read. What does he do? He picks up and he reads. Verse 18, he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, So there's the text for his sermon. There is where Jesus preached from. And then he began to explain what all of that meant. And it seems like, more than likely, his message was like this, that Isaiah, six to seven hundred years before the birth of Christ, was talking about this man, Jesus. He said, I am the Messiah. I am the one that all of history has been pointing to. I am the one that all of history is about. I'm the one that created the world and everything in it. I'm the one that created you. That's madness if you were to hear somebody saying that. If I were to stand up here today and say that I am God, you would think that is madness. And that's essentially what Jesus' message was. But it wasn't simply just that he was God, but he said, Since I am the Messiah, you must completely trust in me. You must have faith in me and believe that I can save you. And then later on, actually what we're told there uh, in Luke chapter 4 is that his message continued and he said, You will reject me as the Messiah and because you reject me, you will be destined for hell. You will send yourself into hell. That's the message that they were blown away by. It's an astonishing message. So what's so astonishing about that? Well, there's basically two religious answers about who God is 
first of all, the first religious answer is that God is holy. God is holy. Um, And the only way for you to get to God is to be equally as holy as God. Um, We are surrounded by these people. They're called Muslims. Okay, Muslims believe absolutely that their God is holy. And in order for you to see God and live with God, you must be absolutely holy in the way that he has determined. But it's not just Muslims. The Pharisees in Christ's day believe that. God is holy, and you must meet their standard of holiness in order to see God. Only his holy group gets in. That's the first answer that most religious people give, that God is holy. The second answer is the more common American answer to this question, that God is gracious. A lot of people believe in a holy God, but more often people believe in a gracious God. So that everyone gets into heaven. Everyone, because God is so good and loving that even though, yes, we might make a mistake from time to time, that he's just going to let us in. He's going to turn a blind eye to our sin because our sin really isn't that bad. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never killed anybody. I tell a lie every now and then, but it's not that big a deal. And God understands. And therefore, I get in. So those are the two answers that God is holy or God is gracious. And usually those two things are mutually exclusive. You can't have a holy God and a gracious God. But Christ's message is actually that God is both of those things. God is both absolutely holy and in order for you to live with him, you must be holy as well. You must have his standard of righteousness and meet his standard of righteousness. And Christ says in Matthew chapter 5, you must be perfect as his Father in heaven is perfect. That's his standard of holiness. Perfection. There's no winking at sin, turning a blind eye to sin. You don't get in if you are not perfect. But part of Christ's message is, That God is also gracious. That we are sinners who have offended that holy God. And out of love for us, God himself came to live among us. He moved into our neighborhood. Do you remember a couple uh, months ago back when they were filming the movie here? um, And Matthew McConaughey moved into our neighborhood for a few weeks. Do you remember that? Most of you don't care about it, but some of you really cared a whole lot about it. Um, He moved into our neighborhood. Here's this great and wonderful celebrity that came and lived among us. Here's the story of Christmas that God himself, the, the one who created heaven and earth and created the world, moved into our neighborhood to dwell with us, to be one of us. To take on our sinful flesh. He lived his life 33, 34 years and went to the cross. Why did he have to go to the cross? Because remember, God is holy. And on the cross, Jesus Christ faced that holy God, taking the wrath that our sin deserved. And he imputed, he took our sin on himself. We gave him our sin. And he gave us his righteousness, his 
perfection, his standard of holiness, so that God can be both holy and gracious. This was the message that Jesus gave. And the only way for you to have this standard of righteousness, the only way to have his perfection is to believe and trust in who Jesus Christ is. We can't pull ourselves up and be good enough. We can't make ourselves better. And he won't just let us in. The only way is for us to trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. We aren't good enough. We're not smart enough. And gosh darn it, God just doesn't love us until the merit of his son is applied to us. It's an astonishing message. And some of you, no doubt, are having the same reaction as the people did in Christ's day. Look at how they reacted in verse 54. They heard this and they were astonished. And they asked, where did this man get this wisdom? And what did they do? They began to question the messenger. They questioned the source of the message. Look at what they said. Verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Now, to us, uh, it, it just kind of appears that, well, they're just kind of doing his genealogy. They're, they're answering the great southern question, uh, who's your mom and dad, right? Who are you related to? What's your last name? But that's not merely what they're doing. Uh, actually, they're looking at Jesus knowing his background, knowing his family history because he grew up in Nazareth. Uh, it's only about 500 people in this very small town. Uh, you know what it's like to grow up in a small town. Uh, the news travels very quickly, and when anything weird or exciting happens, everyone knows. Well, prior to Christ being born, what was the news? That Mary, who likely was 13, 14 years old when she was betrothed to Joseph, was pregnant out of wedlock. Joseph was going to marry her or was going to divorce her and put her away silently. He just wanted to be done with the whole situation. And an angel came to him and said, Joseph, don't do that because she is with child and the child is from God. She is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And remember, the angel came to Mary and explained to her what was going on as well. Well, you can imagine hearing that and a 13-year-old, 14-year-old girl saying, no, I haven't had an illicit affair out of wedlock. Uh, I'm actually pregnant with uh, the Holy Spirit or with the Son of God. And, and so you hear that story and you say, yeah, right, Mary, that's a little bit too much. Understand this, that Jesus would have been raised by Joseph. And the whispers behind the corners and at the schoolyard would have been that Jesus was an illegitimate child. Some of you know that kind of pain of being raised in that situation. Jesus understands that as well. So whenever the people say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah, right. How can this man have that kind of information? God doesn't look favorably upon people who were born in those circumstances. Um, And then they also would have known that no one from Nazareth has any kind of formal training. They're not wise. They're not smart. Uh, And so they would have questioned his training, his wisdom. They certainly thought he had some kind of wisdom. And they knew about his mighty works. He'd been healing people all over northern Israel. Uh, Dave Ramsey calls this the powdered bottom syndrome. uh, That if someone changed your diapers, they're probably not going to listen to you later on. 
uh, whenever you give them advice. I've had that experience being younger and giving advice to older people, and they go, yeah, right, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, Jesus is experiencing some of that. So at the very worst, uh, they're questioning his, the legitimacy of his message um, uh, because of his background, and at the very best, they're simply disregarding it. They also derided the source, uh, as we just said. They, they questioned uh, him and his upbringing. He's the carpenter's son. Recognize carpenters, even today, they're not very high on the rung. They're not all that uh, well-respected. Um, and then also they discounted the source Um, Look there at verse uh, 55. Um, Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Some of those names are going to be familiar to you, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. Uh, So at least two of those men we know later on became his apostles, uh, James and Judas. You know him as Jude, the writer of the second to last book of the Bible, Jude. He changed his name probably from uh, Jude to Judas because he didn't want to be associated with the other Judas. Uh, but, uh, but there it is. Um, James and Judas are not his brothers with us. Remember his brothers in chapter 12 that were trying to get crazy Jesus from speaking earlier? His brothers are with us. Uh, I'm sorry, and his sisters, verses, uh, verse 56, are not his sisters uh, with us. And so uh, we know his sister's names, Mary and Salome. Uh, actually, when it comes to the cross of Christ, Salome and Mary, uh, his sister, are there with him. Uh, so there you have his brothers and sisters, his mom and his dad. And guess what? All of them at this point in Christ's ministry, they're discounting uh, his ministry as well because even his family is rejecting him. His brothers and sisters right now don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, This is actually a very familiar way uh, to us of discounting the message of Jesus. If you turn on the History Channel, which I never recommend that you do, uh, but especially this time of year and around Easter, you'll hear people, scholars, these uh, people that get on TV and tell you about how much they know about Jesus, and they say, oh, you can't trust the source because no illegitimate son of a carpenter would have this kind of training. It's the same old thing that they're using to say that it isn't true. They don't believe that this is the message because they don't believe that this message can come from Jesus. And then furthermore, some people reject Jesus because they think they're too smart for a carpenter and too smart to accept the message message that comes from a carpenter. We need to be very careful uh, about this. Finally, uh, we see the result of their questioning the source in verse uh, 57 and verses 57 and 58. And they took offense at him. Um, That word offense is another interesting word here. Uh, And uh, the last thing that we see is that they stumbled over Jesus. This is literally uh, something uh, that would be used, a word that would be used for an object in the road that is in the way. Uh, And it's a large object so that you stumble over it whenever you come upon it. They refuse to go around the message of Jesus. They take offense at his message. And I need you to understand something. The message of Jesus Christ is very offensive. It's offensive to those that believe in Jesus and it's offensive to those that do not. Because Jesus is calling out our sin Jesus is revealing our hearts. Jesus is telling us again that we are not good enough. 
Jesus is telling us that we can't do it. We can't pull ourselves up. That we cannot make God happy on our own. Uh, if you f- go a little bit uh, right after this, and I won't, uh, I'll just point you there, but right after this, in uh, chapter 15, Jesus comes across a Canaanite woman. Uh, and her uh, child is sick. And she comes and says, Jesus, will you heal my child? And he says, no. I wasn't sent to the Canaanite dogs. I wasn't sent to the dogs. He calls this woman a dog. In John chapter 4, he comes across a woman at the well, uh, and he has a polite conversation seemingly to us. And then uh, she says, the woman ultimately says, he says, I'll give you living water. I have living water. And the woman says, sir, I'd like this living water. And Jesus says, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband, and Jesus says, you're right, you've had five husbands. There in that interaction, Jesus is calling this woman a whore. Get the intensity of this, that Jesus calls a woman a dog, and he calls a woman a whore. To the Pharisees, to the religious people of the day, he looks at them, and he says, you are snakes and vipers. Now, to that woman he called a dog, you know how she responded? She said, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that are from the master's table. Out of faith, she said, yes, Lord, you have nailed me rightly. You have called me on who I am. I am a dog. I'm not worthy of you. And yet, will you come? And Jesus says, yes, your child will be healed. To the woman that he calls a whore, she says, how do you know me? And he says, I I know you. I know who you are. And she responds out of faith and goes and tells everyone, He knows who I am. He knows me. And in faith, she responds and he gives her salvation. To the Pharisees, though, they reject. To the Pharisees, they hear that, that they're a brood of vipers, that they're snakes. And what do they do? They kill Jesus Christ. There's a warning here to us. All people are offended by Christ's message. Some of you are whores and adulterers. You need to hear that. Some of you have hearts that run after everything but Jesus Christ. Jesus is for you and he's calling you to repentance today. Some of you are even worse than that. You're Pharisees and you think you're good enough to get into heaven on your good works. Repent of your goodness. It's your stumbling block to coming to Jesus. All of us need to repent. Now, he doesn't end there. Uh, Well, he does end there. Look at the very end in verse 58. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Um, This is a sour note of judgment on his people. Jesus had been healing people and doing all these miracles And there at his hometown, he doesn't do very many good things. But I want you to notice something. Even though they had unbelief, he did do some miracles. He did not do many miracles, but he did do some. The good news is God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we need. And what we need is faith in Jesus Christ. The offer of the good news is to you. Accept him as he's offered not as you want him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this word. I pray that you would help it to
challenge our hearts, that we would see our need for God's grace, that we would see what you've done through your Son to save us from our sins. We thank you for uh, all of your wonderful deeds that you've displayed in your Son for our salvation. And I pray that we would trust in him in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close by singing hymn number 195, Joy to the World, the Lord is